This is the On Humans podcast with your host Ilari McKenna. And today's highlight is from episode 11 with Helen Fisher, an anthropologist and neuroscientist famous for her work on romantic love across cultures and ages. That was a long episode where we touched on many fascinating questions from how universal is romantic love to whether humans evolved to be monogamous, polygamous or something else. But in the middle of that long episode, we also discussed a practical issue of what makes relationships last. Fisher's answer was surprisingly well thought out and besides being practical, it was also a neat window into Fisher's research on the neuroscience and psychology of love. Now, uh, this clip also includes a segment on potential risks of certain antidepressants. And I want to highlight that neither one of us is a medical professional and we are certainly not recommending anyone to drop their medications, especially not without consulting their physician first. And it's also worth noting that none of the effects we discuss are universal and certainly not uncontroversial. But if you are interested in learning more about the topic or are even trying to find possible alternatives or complements to medications that you or someone close to you is taking at the moment, something to discuss with your physician, I have left some links in the show notes. Anyways, this is today's clip with Helen Fisher on what makes romantic love last. So I and my colleagues put 15 people who were in long-term, extremely happy marriages. And they all would walk into the lab and say, I'm still in love with my partner. Now, these people were all married an average of 21 years. Most of them had adult children. They were all in their 50s and 60s. They would come into the lab and say, I'm still in love with her. I'm still in love with him. Not just loving, but in love. So we decided we would put them in the brain scanner because people don't believe you can remain in love with somebody long-term. We put them in the scanner. Sure enough, we found activity in the same brain region, the ventral tegmental area linked with feelings of intense romantic love. We found activity in, in a brain region linked with deep attachment. We found activity in a brain region linked with the sex drive. So all three of the basic brain systems were active when they looked at a picture of their sweetheart. But then we looked at people who scored, among these people, those who scored very high on our happiness test. We give them all kinds of questionnaires before they go into the machine. And by the way, before you say that, can I just point out that I think it's 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 really striking finally because do I remember correctly that the activity in these areas was equally good than than for those who, who had just fallen in love that, that that the brain was able to sustain that same level of 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 response after twenty five years of marriage. I mean that's fascinating. It is in the long term love. Yes, we found activity in the brain region linked with intense romantic love. And with deep feelings of attachment, definitely. But we also found activity in the brain region with calm and pain suppression, <laughs> which we did not find among those who are very happily and married, very intensely married only a few months. I mean, this is and great it, news. This is great. Yeah. It means that it can just get better. <laughs> news gets better. Because uh, <laughs> we, we took a look at those who were very happy because you give a whole lot of questionnaires before you put somebody in a brain scan. I mean, this is an enormous operation. And... Those who were long-term married and extremely happily married, still madly in love, deeply attached, sex drive was cranking along, we found activity in three brain regions among these long-term happy marriage. A brain region linked with empathy, a brain region linked with controlling your own stress and your own emotion, and a brain region linked with what I call positive illusions, the ability to overlook what you don't like about somebody and focus on what you do. Hmm. So you asked me what makes a long-term happy marriage from the neural perspective. I would say express empathy daily 
control your own stress and your own emotions daily. Overlook what you don't like and focus on what you do daily. Those three. And I would also, in my case, I would think you should also um, keep all three of these basic brain systems, sex drive, romantic love, and attachment cooking along. And to maintain the sex drive, have sex. People say, well, I don't have time. Well, you got enough time to go out for dinner with friends on Saturday night. You got enough time to get your hair done or, or get your work done. You got have, you have time for sex. Make time for sex. Even if you schedule it. Scheduling it can be sort of fun because then you can joke about it beforehand. Uh, and you said that I heard you say that it's good for the body. I mean, it, that it's, it's actually very good for the body. Very good for body. You know, when you have sex with somebody, any stimulation in the genitals drives up the dopamine system, can give you feelings of renewed romantic love. With orgasm, there's a real flood of oxytocin linked with feelings of attachment. And androgens go up. Testosterone goes up. So if you have sex, you're going to want more sex. As these people get out of the habit of having sex, and so it declines. So have sex regularly. So that's also having sex with uh, your partner increases the endorphins for pain relief. Uh, the pain threshold goes up 10%. You get glowing skin. You look better. What if your partner doesn't want? Well, now you got a problem. That's one of the big problems in therapy yeah. is one person wants it more than others. There's no question about that. But if everybody does want it and you're having it regularly, it also boosts the immune system, uh, good heart rate and respiration and blood pressure, promotes sleep, gets oxygen to the brain, elevates mood, uh, and it's certainly good for the muscles and the, everything. So, you know, have sex, number one. Keep love going. And you do that with novelty, novelty, novelty. Do new things with the partner. Now, you don't have to swing from chandeliers. Take your bicycles out to dinner. Go to a different place in the summer vacation. Uh, you know, read a new book together. Cook something different. Learn to dance. Novelty, novelty, novelty drives up the dopamine system and can give you feelings of intense romantic. This is why vacations are so exciting. Hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's hard to even figure out how you turn on a shower in some of these hotels. And as you're trying to turn on the shower, it's novel. Dopamine is going up. You're beginning to focus. And, you know, and, and certainly also you want to keep that attachment going. And in order to keep the attachment going, you know, stay in touch. Kissing drives up oxy oxytocin. Walking arm in arm. Get rid of the two separate chairs in the living room and sit together on the couch. Hold hands when you walk down the street. Figure out how to lie in each other's arms at night or come home from work and lie down holding each other for half an hour and talk about work or whatever uh, instead of sitting across the lobby from each other, for God's sake. So basically, it's those six things. Empathy, controlling your own stress and your own emotions. Overlook the negative, focus on the positive, positive illusions. Keep the sex drive going. Novelty, 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 driving up dopamine and stay in touch for attachment. And there's one more that really interests me. <clears throat> Wonderful study <clears throat> that showed that when you say nice things to your partner, it, it's, it, it's helpful for their cholesterol, their cortisol, and their blood pressure. But it's also good for yours. <laughs> so I think you, the number seven of all these things is say nice things to your partner. There's one thing that I do have to ask uh, when it comes to long-term relationships and maintaining them, which is the possible links between antidepressants 
and uh, long-term love. Could you quickly give your, you know, like two-minute elevator pitch on on your take on the matter and uh, any tips that you have for people who, who who are on SSRI medications at the moment or are considering them? Yeah, I, I really think that there's some people who need these medications to get out of bed and not kill themselves or somebody else. So I, I'm not saying that they're bad for everybody all the time, but I wrote a big academic paper on this uh, and the impact that they can have. And what SSRIs do, not SNRIs, not serotonin and norepinephrine, but solid serotonin, Prozac, Paxil, Lexapro, um, they drive up the serotonin system in the brain. And what they do with when you take a lot of it is they numb the emotions. And when you what you're doing is you're driving up uh, serotonin, you are reducing dopamine. You're making it less likely to be able to fall in love or to sustain a long-term partnership. Now, there's some people who need these drugs to stay alive, but the bottom line is they are jeopardizing their brain systems for romantic love and deep feelings of attachment. And I have just started my next brain scanning experiment to show, show this. And it, what happened it was about two weeks ago, I got two emails from somebody who said, Dr. Fisher, can't you help? She said, we, there's, there's huge groups now of people. Mm-hmm. And as much as 20 years later, they write and they've written to me now and said, I can't feel my vagina, my clitoris. I can't feel it at all. Mm-hmm. I can't feel no sensations in my genitals, men as well as women. I, I feel I don't feel any real joy or sorrow. I don't feel anything. And they're desperate to have somebody take a look at uh, the impact of these drugs on the brain and on the body. And it's so interesting. I, I made a speech at the annual meeting of the American Psychiatric Association. It was years ago. I was talking about this, and then the New York Times printed something about it. And they, they printed the story of a doctor, an MD, who had heard my lecture from Texas. And he wrote in, he said, you know, I'm a person who does suffer chemically from real depression and I love my wife and I love my children and I started taking one of these drugs and I woke up one morning a few weeks later and I realized I don't love my wife I don't love my I don't like anything about any of this and he said I felt completely numb Mm. and he said I began to realize that it was the drug and he said and then he writes this in the New York Times he says I now am going to not take these drugs when I get seriously depressed because my wife and my children are more important to me. I'm going to go through those depressions because the rest of my life is so essential. I cannot afford to lose it. And the problem with these people is that who take these drugs is they stay on them. Now I can understand taking them. I got this one letter from a guy and he was doing poorly in school. He was heavily in love with a girl and he started to poorly in school. They put him on one of these drugs he realized he didn't love the girl. He walked out. He finally got off the drugs almost a year later. His passion for the girl came back, in his case, that's lucky. And he grabbed, he, he bought all the roses he could carry in his arms and went over to her house. And she opened the door and he said, I think I made a terrible mistake. It was the drugs. Will you take me? Sure. And yeah. I have almost a foot of single pages of emails from people around the world, because I mentioned this in one of my TED Talks, and I did write a big academic article about how these drugs can affect not only your sex drive, but your sexual performance Hmm. and your ability to form an attachment to somebody. 
quick question. What about SNRIs? Would it just solve the problem with SNRIs? I certainly um, uh, I think that they would be much better. Uh, I, I don't study it, and I do need to study it. I've been very involved in, in something else for the many last few years. But uh, now that I've launched this thing with SSRIs, an FMRI, fMRI study, uh, I'm going to have to study up on them. But it's got to be an improvement. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I'm a, I, I'm a PhD in anthropology, so not a doctor. And I hope the people listening really remember that. But the bottom line is just from a purely physiological perspective, um, norepinephrine is very closely related to dopamine. Mm-hmm. And they both uh, help with sex drive because they can trigger the testosterone system. And then I read a huge amount about SSRIs. I have huge folders of it. And it makes you calm. That's why people take it. Makes you calm. Because it's driving up serotonin. Some people need calm. They just need the calm, you know, and they need the calm to sort out the problems without being, you know, uh, I mean, some people will take Wellbutrin instead, which drives up the dopamine system and does not affect the serotonin system. And some people get on the serotonin for a while and they will say, this really worked for me. I was able to put my life back together and I finally got off it. Now I'm happily married. So it's going to be different for different people. but. I would just at least have doctors say to the patients, look, there are studies, and just have them read my article, for God's sakes, so that these people at least know what they're getting into. And some of them will say, I don't care. I don't want to fall in love. I need to be numb. I need to get through this stage in my life because of some horrible thing that's happened to me. I'll get off these drugs and get back you know, to myself at a later date. And that's that you don't have to make these decisions, but you need to be informed. 